become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Um, a little later in the passage, because she runs off to tell her husband, and I, I don't know what he was thinking at this point, like, um, you know, my, my wife is crazy. That's probably what I'd be thinking, you know, at this point. Um, and yet the, the angel of the Lord actually comes back on a second visit. This time uh, Manoah's wife actually brings the husband into the conversation. He actually gets to meet this man and hear the pronouncement for himself. And we see, um, you know, down in verse 13 that the angel of the Lord actually just repeated the instructions uh, to Manoah this time. Be sure your wife follows the instructions I gave her. She must not eat grapes or raisins, drink wine or any other alcoholic drink or eat any forbidden food. So he reinforces this Nazarite commitment. Now, here's the, here's the thing that I want you to see right at the beginning of the story. Um, Samson's birth, right from, the, right from the get-go, was a blessing. He was, given, he was actually given to this couple and to the nation with a distinct call on his life. The call we saw in verse 5 was to rescue the people, right? So he was, he was sent to be a deliverer. He had this commission on his life, not only to live a worthy and full life, but to be a redemptive force, right, in society. Um, and part of that call was a consecration. You can go to the next slide here. and It shows this here. It's a consecration um, on his life, verses 13 and 14, reaffirmed three times in this passage, uh, for purity for a purpose. So the Nazarite, the Nazarite vow, you can read about this in other places in the Old Testament, like n- number 6, um, it was basically a way to set apart a person to service to God. And it had some ritualistic like, characteristics to this commitment so people could identify them. Number one, no haircuts. So you, you could sort of tell a Nazarite because you know, their, their hair was super long in this culture. You know, it was super long, had never been cut. And then also there was some dietary things that all involved grapes, right? So no raisins, you hear this repeated, you know, no grapes, no grape products, no wine. Um, and it was sort of a, a dietary way to affirm the consecration for this purpose. And then we see at the very end of chapter 13 um, that as Samson grew up, the Lord blessed him in verse 24, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. So, do you get the picture here? Um, Samson comes onto the scene with an incredible call. He's got, he's got a commission on his life for redemption. He's got consecration, like there's, a, there's an invitation here to purity for a purpose. It's not just like an end in itself. It's like when God always commands certain things, it's always for a purpose in our lives. So he's got this on his life, and he's also got the power of the Holy Spirit to actually bring the goods to fulfill his life destiny. Does that sound like anybody as an archetype? Um, actually, this is, Samson is very much in this way um, like the destiny of every believer who has come into God's grace. We've come into a commission. We call it the Great Commission. We've been called to purity, like this invitation to the Great Commandment, to, to practice the way of love and truth and beauty and goodness. We've been given the Holy Spirit so, so in many ways, we can look at Samson this morning as a model, right? An archetype of each one of us who want to live with God, want to walk with God, want to fulfill our destiny. 
Um, and it's important to, to recognize this morning that there's a call on your life, every one of us, in the way of Jesus, to participate in the way of love and redemption and goodness. There's a consecration, there's an invitation to walk with God in purity and closeness for a purpose. And you have the Holy Spirit, right? And so, so those of us who have gone through you know, the summit, we had a revival of that, right? We, we remembered our call. We responded to the invitation in new ways, right? To purity for a purpose. Um, and we felt the stirrings of the Holy Spirit, you know, in our life. But whether you were a part of that or not, as, as someone in the way of Jesus, this is your next step, right? To walk and to build on that foundation. Now, as we, as we get into the story here in 14, 15, 16, it's interesting um, because, I'll just tell you in a he- ahead of time here, Samson had a 20-year period of, of activity in his life. He had 20 years in adulthood of walking you know, into, this, into this calling and consecration you know, after he reached adulthood. And his life, in many ways, was a slow-motion train wreck. Okay? I'm going to give you a, like a heads-up on this. And so as we read a story, what we're really looking for here is for clues to the, to the decisions and thought processes in Samson's life that undermine, that give away, to some degree, or, or in, in Samson's life, almost totally, this incredible call, this incredible consecration. It's a way not to maximize your life, okay? We're looking at a negative example, okay? And we're going to try to learn some lessons this morning for how this works for us so that we don't repeat you know, that destiny. Okay, so let's begin reading in, in uh, chapter 14. And we'll just look there right at the beginning, uh, I, th- I think right here in verses 1 through 3. Okay, so one day, Samson was in Timnah, and one of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye, and I want to marry her. Get her for me. Now, his father and mother objected, not to the attraction, not to marriage, but to the object of this. Because they said to him, isn't there even a woman in our own tribe or among all the Israelites that you could marry? Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me, okay? Now, it's pretty abrupt, right? We, we move off of this calling, this consecration, this impartation of the Holy Spirit, and what do we see Samson, right off the bat, using as the criteria for his decision-making? Now, I think all of us are probably, if we're honest, we've been there, right? That guy or that girl walks by, um, and this was not a spiritual gifts test. Okay, I'm just gonna, I gotta tell you, he, he saw some things that he liked, it moved him, you know, as a man, and he jumped right from the things that captivated his eyesight to a pretty serious life decision. Like, pretty quick here, would you agree? This is, a, this is what you call a short engagement. Okay, basically, mom and dad... Like, I've seen what I want. You wouldn't believe this, babe. Get her. Okay, now, his, 
Could we all agree um, that Samson probably was using his feelings, his emotions, his desires? Maybe, maybe we could even argue, we could say a natural part of himself, but maybe not, maybe not the whole story, not the complete picture, not an integrated decision-making process here. Would you agree? Um, he, was, he was being guided by his feelings and by his emotions. And he sort of articulates it. Because his, his, parents, his parents appeal to him, like with some good sense. Like, you know, they're like, hey, good, good plan, or good object, bad plan. Okay, good, good intention, bad plan. Would you consider doing this a different way? Like, we're, we're willing to go for this, but like in a different, a different process. They make a reasonable appeal. And Samson rejects that appeal, right? Verse, verses 2 and, two and 3. He basically says, no. No, get her for me. She looks good to me. Now, I just want to—I just want to throw this out for our thinking and the dynamics of this bigger conversation um, about our call and consecration. You know, one of the one of the warning signs in our lives is when we begin to use feelings or emotions as the guide to our decisions. You know, and that's sort of sort of in the water these days in terms, of, in, sort of, in terms of how decisions are to be made. I mean, after all, if it feels good and it seems good, it must be, it must be good. Sort of, the, sort of the logic. However, using your feelings, feelings are wonderful things. They, they need to be, we need to be aware of our feelings. We need to be integrated with our feelings. Feelings are, are a wonderful gift to us from God, but they are a terrible guide to life, major life decisions, right? And when feelings, as a pattern, overrule our convictions, our principles, like the things that, things that we know are true, what we've committed to, our values, when our feelings begin to override that as a pattern of our decision-making, would you agree um, that we open ourselves okay, in unbelievable ways to all kinds of things, all kinds of things. Um, because feelings, if they do anything, go up and down. They change, right? So they're unreliable guides. So, so how do we mitigate that process in our life? Well, one of the ways is that we surround ourselves with people who are wise and reasonable who are objective, and we open ourselves to wise input. So here's the, here's, the second, here's the second thing here. In the process of your life decisions, do you receive wise input? Do you open your life, your decision-making, your priorities, to someone other than you? Okay? Now you say, well, it's my life. Well, that's true. And i got to make the decision. That's true. That's not what I'm challenging. The question is, how do you make that decision? Do you make it on your feelings? Do you make it with input? Have you opened your life? Okay. Or have you closed it? Are you asking for input? Are you listening okay, to the people that are surrounding you in your life? Probably the real task for all of us in this is, are you listening not just to the things that you agree with, or the things that line up with what you want, 
but are you listening when it's hard? You know what I'm talking about here? When someone looks you in the eyes and goes, you know, buddy, I think you're off here. Like, I think you're missing something. Like, you're, you're, getting, you're getting the cart before the horse. You're letting your desires, you're letting the worst part of yourself here, you're letting your emotions about the situation because it's, you've got all this stuff going on. You're letting your emotions guide here. And you're, and you're like, well, that's not what I want to hear. That's not what I want to hear. Do you start to shut those people out? Or, or do you value the hard sayings right, of your friends, of your family, of people who you really trust, who have a track record? See, this is all part um, of life with God. All right? Now, this doesn't stop here, okay? So the parents sort of like, you know, they see that Samson's set on what he wants, so they go down. They sort of give in to that. You know, he's like giving them no option. He's just like, I'm, I'm bulling ahead here. And so they go down to make arrangements with this woman. And on the way, on the journey down to this family's, you know, place of residence, um, we see that a young lion in verse 5 jumps out, attacks them, and the power of the Holy Spirit comes on Samson. You know, it's, it's, he's got these gifts. He's got this impartation of power. And he literally rips this lion apart with his bare hands. This dude had game. Right? He had, I mean, he had amazing power of the Holy Spirit in his life. He had gifts. And he takes care of this lion. Then he goes on down to make the arrangements. And, and then on the journey back, from having made this really bad decision, he stops again. And I want you to look. Um, if you advance my slide there for me. I think it's down in verse 9. Yeah, verse 9. He, later when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion, and he found that a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass. He scooped some of the honey into his hands and ate it along the way. He also gave some to his father and mother, and they ate it, but he didn't tell them that he had taken the honey from the carcass of the lion. Now, I've had to tell you one thing about a Nazarite. I said no great products, no haircuts. Here was the other thing. No dead bodies. Okay, the ceremony, they, they had to stay away from both the symbolism and the impurity of, of death, right? You were made for life, not death, so it symbolized that. So this was like a, this is like a neon light, right, going off in the middle of chapter 14. Because Samson, he's on the course following his feelings. He has, he has you know, this amazing, amazing victory with the lion, and yet he turns off and he sees that, you know, he's hungry. There's honey there. And what does he do again? Makes a decision on the basis of what? His desires. The carcass should have been like a, you know, you know he was supposed to be nowhere near a carcass, not only is he now touching death, he's actually feeding himself with it. Okay? And then he takes it and he gives some to his mom and dad who even as, you know, even not Nazarites, you weren't supposed to eat out of dead things, right? Like this would make you ceremonial and clean. It was unhealthy. And what does, he, what does he omit? He says, mom and dad, here's some honey. What does he omit? That it came out of a dead body? Right? Now, what we see here really quickly is that Samson's, he's, he's continuing down this path of compromising his integrity for his own benefit, right? For, for the things that he wants, he's making compromises. And then on top of it, he's doing what? He's beginning to lock people out. He's keeping secrets 
from his parents first. We're going to see this develop more. But he begins to segment his life into, into pieces. All right? And he begins to keep secrets. Now, here, now here's my question for you. Questions. In what areas are you making compromises to your integrity for personal benefit? You ever, you ever do this? Like all of us, all of us have an incredible system of rationalization, right, in our lives. Are you making any compromises to your integrity because of personal benefit? And then, and then here's, the, here's the next level. Are you keeping secrets? Are you locking people out? Are you selectively deciding what parts of information to share and what not to? See, this is, this is again, a 20-year process, but Samson's giving it away. He's beginning, to, he's, he's beginning to build a lifestyle, a dynamic, that doesn't invite forward momentum with God, but closes them off to it. Okay? Now, this whole thing, we don't have time to cover it, but it just, it just goes bad. The, the marriage down there was, you know, the, the, the girl that he thought looked so good started to get brutally coerced by her family because Samson told him a riddle and it was costing them money and they were under pressure financially and they turned on her and basically said, if you don't find this out, you know, we're going to burn your house down. And so she begins to manipulate and betray Samson. Samson gets betrayed in that interaction. He gets ticked off. You can read chapter 15, like, hundreds of people end up dying over this. I mean, it's like broken relationships. His, the, young, the girl and her family end up getting killed. Like she's given in marriage to someone else before that happens. Like there's, there's mayhem everywhere, okay, in chapter 15 because of this process of decision-making, okay? And so still Samson carries on, all right? And we see unbelievably in chapter 16... Again, over the course of many years, we get another glimpse, we get another scene of Samson. So let's look at chapter 16. Okay, flip there and, and let's read in verse 1. One day Samson went to the Philistines, Philistine town of Gaza and he spent the night with a prostitute. Word soon spread that Samson was there. So the men of Gaza gathered together and waited all night at the town gates. They kept quiet during the night, saying to themselves, when the morning light comes, we will kill him. Okay, now, look up here for a second. Um, How do you know that visiting prostitutes is kind of a far, far, like, distance from your Nazarite vow? Okay, like like a ministerial vow. Like, like going to town, got some business here. First thing I'm going to do, I'm going to stop and see a prostitute. Okay, now, secondly, not sure if he was discreet or not, but word got out. And pretty much everybody in the town knew that Samson was where? With the prostitute. How many of you know that this is not a great thing for your credibility? Okay, to when you start living a double life, like eventually stuff starts getting out. This is not great. This is not great evangelism. Okay? I also, I also want to point out that this had gone from like, like Samson seeing women and wanting to marry them to Samson seeing women and wanting to do what? Just sleep with them. Okay? This is pretty reckless. Would you agree? It's pretty reckless. It's pretty advanced. Like, stuff has been going on with, with Samson, but it's the same pattern. It's feelings. It's emotions. It's desires. It's compromises. It's secrets. Do you see? This stuff, like, picks up steam. And I can show you all through Scripture that, 
that these patterns, the reason that we avoid them or identify them and deal with them early is that they do what? They grow. Sin always grows. Like as, as we give away our integrity, like we don't get stronger magically, right? We get weaker. And this is what's happening here at an unbelievable level. I would even argue to you that Nazarites and ministers don't go visit prostitutes until you've actually developed what? Sort of addictive behavior, right? There's a power to all of this that goes beyond the rational, okay? And so we could maybe even argue that, that Samson has accrued in his life like addictions and dynamics that he's juggling. Now keep in mind, where is the Holy Spirit in his life? Like we, don't, we could read the next verse. Like he still has the power of God. Like he lifts up the gate. He delivers the people. You know, like he, he's still fully functioning in his role, role as a judge and yet he's got two things going on. This is incredible. Like it's a little less linear. God is a little more like nuanced. Okay, than we can ever imagine. Just because you have great things going on in your life and you have the blessing of God in your life and you have the power of God in your life doesn't mean that these compromises are not well underway. And we're going to see how this works in a minute, okay? I'm, I'm running out of time, but we're, you know, this is an amazing story, okay? And so, and so Samson has this. Now I want you to jump down a little bit here because after this, you know, sort of debacle, the next glimpse we get of Samson it's in verse 8, is that Samson meets and falls, in, it says he falls in love in verse 8 of chapter 16 with a woman named Delilah. Now, we sort of know this from the culture, like Delilah even has, the name itself sort of has like, like this idea of temptress, right? It, the word in Hebrew actually means temptress. Like Delilah, let, or Samson actually consorting with, the, you know, kind of this, this pattern in his life, now actually meets a woman who is not of the best kind, and yet he falls in love with her. Like, there's an emotional connection here. Like, the guy has sort of lost his bearings where even, even his emotions, like what he actually wants and feels like could be legitimate, are sort of like, like out of balance. They're out of whack. He falls in love with Delilah. Now, Delilah's another Philistine woman. So the Philistines are getting the idea, you know, like, this guy's strong, but he's got a weakness. Can you guys identify it? Like the, his weakness is women. So they, 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 they move, you know, up next to Delilah and say, listen, we'll offer you, we got big bucks here. Whose side are you on? Like, let's entrap this guy. Like, we got to put an end to his insurgence and we can get him through you. All right, now, this, I'm just going to tell you the story because I'm almost out of time. This is incredible. Okay, like, so she says, Samson, you have to tell me if you loved me, you would tell me, you know, like your secrets of your strength and your giftedness and you're so amazing, but how? You know, like you've got to tell me. And he's like, no, you know, I don't really think I should. You know, it's like kind of personal. She's like, please, you know. And so they, they go through this little game where she begins to bind him. Like she would, he'll tell him, well, it's, you know, if you bind me with ropes, okay? And then he would fall asleep. She'd bind him with ropes and then guys would bust in. And then he would tell her something else. No, it's, like, it's actually not ropes, it's vines. And then they would bust in. And then eventually it's like, no, if you braided my hair. Now, let me, let me ask you a question. It's several things that occur to me when I read this account in 16. Like, this dude was either a really, really sound sleeper, okay, or, or he was drunk. 
I'm just going to tell you that right now. Like, like, okay, so, so you got that going on, first of all. But second of all, who goes to sleep for the third time? Okay, after, after guys keep busting your room with everything you tell this girl. All right? Listen. Number one, when your emotions go crazy, when you've given over control of that, and your life is based on your feelings, you do really ridiculous stuff. That later you go, what? Okay, number one. So are you guarding your emotions? But secondly, this. Faith for Samson had gotten really, really full of all kinds of paradoxes, right? Okay, and you say, well, this is, this is, this is a stream example. Yes. But let, me, let me ask you a question. Samson was playing a game. His faith became sort of like a game to him. It's sort of like, I have, I have messed around with stuff so much and I've gotten away with it so many times. It's sort of like, I wonder how far I can go. Like, I mean, maybe it really doesn't matter like, maybe, maybe it all turns out right no matter what I do. Like, maybe it's not that big a deal. Or maybe I don't care anymore. Like, like, like I've been through so much of this. I'm sick of it. Like, like, the God in the world thing, like, I'm kind of, like, got a foot in both. I'm not sure I care anymore. Or maybe, or maybe I'm so overconfident in my ability to bring the deliverance goods to like navigate my life that, that my dependence and my whatever is on that. See what I'm saying? All these things are dynamics um, in the Christian life. Samson was treating his faith like a game. He was overconfident in the wrong ways, in the wrong places. He was, he was split in so many different directions that his life had become more complicated than you can tell. And so here, here's my question to you. Is any of this going on in your life? Like, you got the seeds of this going on in your life anywhere? Like, because, if you, because if you do, part of forward momentum with God is just to be honest with it. It's like to get it on the table, to go like, listen, like, I, like God is gracious and merciful and present and working. He's got this incredible thing for me, but I've got some decisions. I've got some like real hardcore like stuff that I've got to deal with because this is my life, right? This is not church. This is my life. Okay? And I've got, to, I've got to interact honestly with the way this actually goes down. The way this goes down. Okay? Now flip ahead here. I've got a couple questions for you. Are you indulging sexual sin? Like we've talked about this here before, but I'm saying like this is common to man. It's pervasive in our culture. Are you keeping a secret about that? Like do you, ha- you got that going? Or is it time to like get that on the table with somebody and just like you're not going to be judged? You know, but it's like, it's like, it's like playing with fire. Are you, do you have any illicit entanglements going on? Like, listen, I've been around this game long enough to know that people who come to church got some illicit entanglements. Got to know how it works. Like down at work, like you're messing with stuff because stuff isn't great at home. Like, like you're fantasizing about stuff. You got, you got a little side game going on. In your life? Are you playing games with your faith? Is it, is it a game? Are, are you playing around with entrapments? Are you relying on your own strengths? Or is it legit? Okay, so I mean, like, these are questions. 
that the story of Samson like brings up to us in really powerful ways. Now look up here for a second. Here's the thing that blows me away. 20 years. So where was God in all this? He was right there. He was using Samson. He was reinviting Samson. He was working with Samson. He was doing good for Samson. He had good intentions for the people and Samson. Like, he's just so amazing, like, with his grace and with his patience. And what, what ultimately happens to Samson is the fourth time he actually gives it away. He tells her, cut my hair. She cuts his hair. One of the most stark verses in Scripture is chapter 16, verses 20 and 21, because Samson jumps up as the Philistines come in, and he thought to himself, I'm going to kick these guys' tail again like I've done it always before. And here was the one thing that he didn't know. The Lord... The Lord wasn't playing the game anymore. He left. He just left. And they take Samson, they gouge out his eyes, they bind him to a grind mill, he becomes a source of mockery and derision. Like his life literally turns into a grind. A grind. And ultimately the tragedy of Samson is just not that he lost his eyesight and his freedom and his ministry it's that, it's that the destiny of the full potential of what could have been his life, what God's intentions were for it, he gave it away. Okay? And there's a turning at the end of this book. It's a severe mercy. But Samson still goes down in the chaos of the rubble right, of his life. And we're all, we're all gasping at where he ended for, versus where he started. And what I want to say to you this morning is this is more than a game. This is one of the game. Like, don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. What, a, what an incredible morning to bring your real self to an incredibly merciful God, to reject carelessness, and to, and to choose the dynamics of forward momentum okay, in your life with God. All right? Let's pray. Lord, I just want to ask you for us to do some real business with you in this few minutes as we look at the life of Samson and we see in him more than just a Sunday school story. We see every man. We see every believer. We see the, we see the dynamics of every life. Lord, we want, to, we want to move beyond our feelings, our pride, our bad choices, our indulgences. Like, we want to move into the light. We want to move into it with you and with the people that can help us. Um, And so, Lord, give us the courage to check this process and to experience renewal and the blessing that could be ours, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As you're, as you're leaving this morning, I, I, I want to say a, a word to you that we're in the summit. Um, you know, there was uh, 30 days that we were challenged to have an accountability partner. Do you remember this? Like, in other words, to grab somebody and say, I need somebody in my life so that I don't end up keeping secrets like and just living on my own. Now, 30 days are almost up. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be awesome to make that principle of crowdsourcing 
our spiritual life like a, like a habit. You know? so, so maybe it's time to have a conversation with that person that you were doing 30 days and say, can we keep doing this? Or maybe it's time to say, well, that didn't work. I need to find somebody else. Okay? But don't go it alone, all right? Go in peace.